This morning we turn again to the book of Ruth. We consider the last four verses of chapter 1. I'm just going to read those again. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. As we turn to these verses, I just want to recap for you where we are in the book of Ruth. In verses 1 through 5, Elimelech and Naomi have traveled to Moab because of the famine in the land of Israel, in the land of Judah. And as they travel into the land of Moab, we find that Naomi loses everything. First, she loses her husband. Then she loses her two sons, and she's left with two daughters-in-law from the land of Moab. The curtain closes on the family and spiritual tragedy in Moab. The end of verse 5. In verses 6 through 14, we find a ray of hope as, as Naomi hears that the Lord had visited his people with bread. This news brings Naomi to her feet and she, she leaves the land of Moab and goes back to Judah. She leaves the land of emptiness to go back to the land of fullness. But as she leaves, Ruth and Orpah go with her. But then as they stand on the border of Judah, she urges Ruth and Orpah to return back to Moab, back to the land of their husband. Naomi looks at herself and she says, what hope is there for you if you follow me? I'm too old to have a husband. I'm I'm too old to have children. I'm barren. There is no hope. There are no prospects for you, Ruth and Orpah, in Judah. We see that Orpah kisses her mother-in-law. She goes back to the land of Moab, a spiritual representation of the kiss of death, as it were, to go back into the land of sin, the land of, of emptiness, spiritually and otherwise. Ruth, however, refuses to return, and she clings to Naomi, we read. That word cling or cleaving there, reminding us of marriage. Already building anticipation of what is to come in the rest of the book of Ruth. In verses 15 through 18, we found Naomi again urging Ruth, not just to return to the land of her husband, the land of her family, the land of her culture, the land of her tradition, but the land of her gods. Go back to your gods, Naomi says. 
Now the choice for Ruth was one of faith commitment and worship. What will she do? Will she listen to Naomi? Will she go back? No, Ruth remains steadfast. She is tied not just to Naomi, she is tied to the Lord. What emerges from her mouth in these verses is a beautiful confession of faith in the Lord. Her hope, her life is now bound up. It's tied to the covenant God of Israel. And she will go with Naomi. She will go to the land of promise. This is where her future was bound up for this life and the life to come. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you will die, I will die and be buried. Naomi is silenced by Ruth's confession, and they continue on to Bethlehem. And that's where we find them this morning. As they approach Bethlehem, we see that a new beginning dawns for Naomi and Ruth. Yes, Naomi is living in bitterness of soul, but it's in these verses that we see a ray of light, a ray of hope beginning to dawn for Naomi and for Ruth. And so that's our theme this morning, a new beginning dawns. In the confusion of Bethlehem's reception, first of all, secondly, in the darkness of Naomi's complaint, and then thirdly, through the light of God's provision. Ruth and Naomi will enter the streets of Bethlehem and be forever changed, even though they cannot see it yet. It's not immediately evident to them. There's some things that they work through that the Lord is is working through for them. But this, this town, is the place where things turn around, where God will display His beautiful work of redemption for Naomi. Naomi and Ruth have no idea what's going to happen. Ruth enters by faith in the covenant-keeping God who has adopted her and whom she has confessed as her own. Naomi enters into Bethlehem in a backslidden state. And yet, this morning, we need to understand that the entrance into Bethlehem marks a transition in what we can call the divine drama of redemption as it's unfolded in God's providence. And so this new beginning dawns in the confusion of of Bethlehem's reception. Verse 19 states, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And children, what did Bethlehem mean? Do you remember that from previous sermons? Bethlehem means house of bread. It means house of bread. Naomi had heard that God had visited his people with bread. She returns back to Bethlehem, to the house of bread. And so here they stand, as they journey back to Bethlehem, they stand in front of the city, the house of fullness. What reception will they receive there? The very name of Bethlehem is significant, as we've seen. Naomi had initially left the house of bread. She had left the land 
of Judah. For the the country of emptiness, for the country of spiritual darkness. She'd exchange the land where God was to the country where God was not. And so they come back to Bethlehem. The return to the Lord's fullness has begun. They both enter in contrasting spiritual conditions. And yet, the bottom line is this, they return to the Lord. They return to the Lord. We also saw in this first chapter that this word return is a, another word for repentance. It's got the, uh, the biblical idea of repentance, of turning from sin to God. That's what we see in the life of Ruth and Naomi. They're, they're turning away from the land of Moab and all that the land of Moab represented, and they're, they're returning back to God where there is spiritual fullness and where there is the fullness of bread. And so we shouldn't pass over the name of Bethlehem in the narrative. It's significant as they trade Moab for Bethlehem. It's significant spiritually and it's significant physically. It's in the return to Bethlehem, to the place of God's fullness, the place of God's visitation, the place of God's goodness, that a new spiritual and physical beginning dawns for these two women. That's an important lesson for us this morning. It's only in returning to the Lord's place of fullness in His grace where He works His redemption. And so this morning He calls again to those who are living in Moab to come to Bethlehem because it's in the place of fullness, of His fullness, that He deals with the souls of His children and turns their prospects around. You see, it's only in Christ, it's only in the bread of life that the Lord feeds and nourishes the soul and changes our spiritual prospects and perspectives. And so this morning, it's important that we don't ignore His drawing us to Bethlehem. When the gospel is preached, He's drawing sinners from Moab to the house of bread to change our spiritual prospects around. And it's precisely for backsliders this morning, as well as for those who have, who have come out of a far country like Ruth, that the Lord calls and the Lord draws by His grace to Bethlehem. But as they enter Bethlehem, it doesn't seem their prospects are very great after all. Picture this for a moment. Naomi had left Bethlehem. And when she had left Bethlehem with Elimelech and her two sons, Malon and Kilin, she was a vibrant mother of two young men. The decade or more in Moab had been harsh on her. And now she returns to, to Bethlehem, likely changed by the hard life in Moab. When a parent loses a child, you can often see grief etched onto their face. Grief carried in their posture. Here's a woman who's been dealt a hard blow of grief. She left with her husband and two sons, but she returns with neither. 
except with a young Moabites in tow. What a change in prospects. The change is so great and so visible that the women of Bethlehem are stirred, as our text tells us. It says all the city was was moved about them. And that word moved here is not simply pity. It it indicates a strong emotion of of discomfort, of, of disturbance. They see Ruth or Naomi rather returning and they're disturbed. A loud murmur ripples through the city about them, about Ruth and Naomi. There's disbelief and consternation and confusion about them, those, those two women. The one woman bowed down and etched with grief and sorrow and hunger. The other woman, by all marks of her dress, is a Moabite, a foreigner, a stranger, someone who does not belong in Bethlehem. It almost creates a disturbance. It's not just Naomi, but it's also Ruth. And then there's the question, the question that plays on the lips of the city In verse 19, is this Naomi? Can it really be true that Naomi returns empty and destitute without protector and provider? Where is Elimelech? Where is the man whose name means God is my king? Where are Malon and, and Kilian, her two sons? And who's that young woman that's, that's walking with Naomi, that stranger, that Moabite? Looking back, maybe Naomi wanted to return alone without Ruth, anticipating this response of Bethlehem. Maybe that's why she urged Ruth to go back to, to Moab and her gods, knowing that the very presence of Ruth with her could create problems for her and create problems for Ruth herself. But here they are. She left full. She came back empty. She left with husbands and sons, and she returns with a Moabite. It's full of irony, this picture. This return to Bethlehem seems to indicate anything but a new beginning. But the very question that the people of the city ask Is this Naomi? That very question signals the beginning of Naomi working through God's providences with her. This question signals the new beginning of grace at work in her life to restore her backslidden soul. Because it's that very question that provokes a response from Naomi in which she works through in her own mind, in her own life, and in this conversation through how God has dealt with her, preparing her for what is to come. Maybe this is where you're at right now. 
Just like Ruth and Naomi standing at the place of God's fullness. But there are counter voices, whether internal, in your own heart, in your own mind, or external. People who stand in the way. Whether it's people from your past. Or people in your present calling out, is this Naomi? Calling to mind a a better past. But emphasizing a bitter present. Is this the one that professed grace but fell bitterly? Is this the one that was so full but is now empty and cold and, and destitute? Is this the one that left the place of God's fullness? The one who was so foolish in her own mind? Or maybe you're like Ruth, you're coming out of a far country for the first time. You cannot but confess that God is your hope. That God is your own, and yet the reception of others, in a sense, stands in the way, blocking your your way to God, blocking your way, as it were, to grace. Your former reputation always rears its ugly head, and you, you wonder how you can enter into that place of fullness and receive the bread of life again. But the Word of God this morning urges you Not to let this question deter you, but let it be the dawn of a new beginning for you as it was for Naomi and Ruth. Bethlehem is confused. Bethlehem asks this question, is this Naomi? But God uses those things so that Naomi begins to speak. Naomi begins to show what's living on the inside. And it's then that God will come and change her prospects. And so we see that this new beginning dawns not only in Bethlehem's reception of Naomi and Ruth, but it also dawns in the darkness of Naomi's complaint. In response to this question, is this Naomi? She she gives an answer of mournful complaint in verse 20. Call me not Naomi. But call me Mara. What is she saying here? She's playing off her name. Her name Naomi meant pleasant. Mara means bitter. So she's saying here, don't call me pleasant, but call me bitter, because that's the reality I'm living in. It calls to mind, doesn't it? The reversal of the drinking water at Marah in the wilderness of Israel, wilderness journeys of Israel in Exodus 25. The water there was bitter to drink. And when Israel began to complain, Moses was instructed by the Lord to cast a tree into the water, and the water was made sweet. The reversal there was from bitter to sweet in God's providence. But now here for Naomi, it's the opposite. She goes from pleasant, from sweet to bitter under God's providence. Naomi's heart is reflected in her words. Not pleasant, but bitter. Her reversal of fortune and family 
is reflected in what she asks to be called. We need to remember that Naomi only uses this name once in the entire narrative. Only once here in these verses. Why is that? Because God will not leave her there. In His providence, God continues to work in her life. He's going to turn things around for her. The bitterness of her soul will be changed into joy as she lives within the city of Bethlehem. As she sees God provide for her and for Ruth in giving them food, providing marriage, providing an heir, bitterness to joy. God does not allow His child to live in this state of bitter complaint. But this name change right here at, this, at, the, at the walls of Bethlehem gives us a window into the condition of her soul as she charges God for her bitterness. As we consider Naomi's next words, it's important to note that God's children can and do backslide at times severely. They do misunderstand. They do say things they should not say. But this does not mean we can excuse such words and such bitterness. But in His wisdom, the Lord has these words recorded for us so we can learn from them this morning. They're written for our correction, for our reproof. If this is a reflection of your soul this morning, living in the bitterness of soul and reading everything through the lens of that bitterness. Well, Naomi charges God with four wrongdoings in his providence. In verses 20 through 21. In order to understand fully the import of what she's saying here, it's helpful to, to write out these four things so we can see what's going on as the author writes this story. The first thing she says is, the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. The Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. The second thing she accuses God of, the Lord hath brought me home again empty. The Lord hath brought me home again empty. Thirdly, the Lord hath testified against me. The Lord hath testified against me. And then fourthly, the Almighty hath afflicted me. The Almighty hath afflicted me. So in the first and fourth charge, she refers to the Almighty. In the second and third charges, she refers to the Lord. The author is using here what's called a, a chiasm, a literary device in the Hebrew 
language. It indicates the totality of something. What Naomi is saying here is that the totality of God's dealings with her has been severe. She's utterly void of hope. God is entirely against her, and that's it. And so she walks in darkness because the totality of God's dealings with her have been severe. She can't see through the frowning providence of God. And it's in these moments that her experience interprets her theology and not the other way around. Her bitter experience is the lens through which she sees the providence of God. She believes in the providence of God. But it's in a negative way that providence has come against her with no hope of reprieve, no hope of relief. And here she is in Bethlehem, empty. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with her. The Lord has witnessed against her. He is the judge against her. He has afflicted her. The totality of God's dealings have have crushed her with a bitter spirit. In the face of the Almighty, she is powerless. She believes that God has dealt bitterly with her and has afflicted her. In some ways, there's truth here, isn't there? She's right that God has afflicted her. But she thinks that God has afflicted her in order to crush her. But we who have the full story know that God has afflicted her to restore her, to bring her into the fullness of the redemption of God that He provides through Jesus Christ. To turn this complaint of bitterness into a song of joy, but she doesn't see it. She contends that the Lord has brought her home empty. But if we look back, it's precisely empty vessels that God fills. And bitter experience doesn't allow us to see that. She believes in a God of justice, that God is thus punishing her for her sins, testifying against her in His court and crushing her, leaving no room for hope, no hope of forgiveness. She disparages the sovereignty of God as as being against her and not for her. She's walking in darkness because she thinks that the totality of God's dealings with her are negative. There are really three contrasts that we can identify in Naomi's complaint. There's a contrast of subjects. In verse 21, Naomi says, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. It's like there's this this conflict, this cosmic conflict between God and, and Naomi, and he's the one that won. She went out full, but where did that fullness go? God's bringing her home empty. There's the second contrast, a contrast of direction. She went out. The Lord brought her home. She's right again, isn't she? There's truth here again. She went out. 
She went out based on what she thought with Elimelech would, be, would have been good for their family in leaving Bethlehem to go to Moab. You see, the direction away from the Lord is always our own responsibility. That's what Naomi rightly highlights. And it's God who returns her home even though she's empty. She focuses on the emptiness, not on the fact that God brought her home. She misunderstands God's providence. She thinks this is the end because of her emptiness, and yet there are hints of life still in the midst of her backslidden state. She's speaking of the Lord, the covenant-keeping Lord. She's speaking of the Almighty, acknowledging that God is almighty. And we know that God's dealings with her are severe. But we can call it a severe mercy. A severe mercy. Those severe mercies that God uses to bring us to himself. Christopher Ashe, in his commentary on Ruth, writes, What the covenant God has done for Naomi is severe. Her fulfilled life has been turned into bitter emptiness. But it is a mercy, always a mercy, to be caused to return to the land of covenant promise. And we can say back to the God of the covenant promise. So what do Naomi's words teach us this morning? First, it teaches us that God's children can experience times of compromise and backsliding. So often we think of backsliding only in terms of gross immorality and grievous sin. But here we see that backsliding begins in the mind and the heart. The anatomy of backsliding is evident in Naomi's life. Began with spiritual compromise by going to Moab, losing everything as a result of that. Continued in her counsel to her daughters in law to return to Moab. And now we see it manifested in her misunderstanding and misapplication of God's providence and justice. Backsliding can lead to great spiritual darkness. But this is a reality that God's children can face. But, and secondly, experience or feelings or emotions should not dictate to us what we think about God. So often believers fall into that trap, don't we? We experience something bitter and hard, and then we, we use that as a lens through which to interpret God's dealings with us. Through the life of Naomi, through the lessons that Naomi teaches us, God is calling us to patience in order to understand that He is using those severe mercies for something better. And that when we cannot understand, to go back to the Word that God has revealed Himself, where God has revealed Himself. This is always a fitting word for us as we deal with hard providences and as we don't know what 
providences will unfold in this week. How often don't we grumble and complain when it seems that everything is against us? We do live in strange times, to be sure. But have we grown in patience, waiting to see how God is going to use that providence for our personal transformation, for our transformation as a church? Naomi was was looking at her circumstances and judging God's providence by it. But here we learn that we need to have the long view of God's providence. And that providence is really only read best backwards. When you look in a rearview mirror in your vehicle, you see what's come behind you. Providence is like a rearview mirror. You look in the rearview mirror of God's providence, and then you see what God was doing. And even then, you can't always understand why, but it helps us. We don't look in the mirror and interpret who God is and how God deals with us by looking forward or by looking at our circumstances. We need to have the long view of God's providence, to learn, learn to look in the rearview mirror and then to rest in God for the future. To rest in God for the present. So these words of Naomi should give us pause before complaining or proclaiming that God is doing one thing or another. Let us rather learn to take hold of the reality of God's presence in the midst of severe mercies and be content with Him in His unfolding purposes, to say that God is enough, to cling to Him. Maybe some of you are here this morning and your heart is not right with God. You're looking at your life. You say, my life is a mess. Surely God must hate me. God is against me. God is going to crush me. There's no hope for me. My friend, for you, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ before, know that that God's providence always serves redemption. Based on that truth, there is always, always hope. There is not a hopeless case while you are alive that God cannot reach. In fact, all that God has brought into your life is to bring you to Him this morning. God is contending with you, sure. But He's saying, hear my voice and, and come to me. Come to the place of fullness where you can have life in Christ. In many ways, that's the third lesson that we see. To recognize that it is through severe mercies that God brings us home to Himself. What severe mercies have you experienced or are you experiencing right this moment or in the past that have colored your view of who God is? Do those severe mercies entrench you in your views of God and His sovereignty as something cold and calculating and immovable? 
that God is going to do what He's going to do and that's, that's it? Or do you see that God's providence seemingly immovable to you based on your perception is actually moving heaven and earth to achieve your dependence on Him? You're drawn, being drawn to Him by His grace. You're dwelling in the place of fullness so that your prospects can be turned around, so that there's a new beginning that dawns in the midst of your dark providence. Do you see the severe mercies that you are undergoing, that our society is undergoing, as God's trumpet call to to draw us home to the place of fullness in Christ Jesus, to be sure of our shelter in Christ this morning? How we need to learn that lesson again and again, don't we? It's only there. It's only there when we learn to interpret the providence of God what we view as harsh, to see it as a severe mercy to draw us back to God Himself. Naomi's words are raw. They are real. They come from a woman who has lost everything. But they reveal the overarching purpose of God, even as they reveal her heart, as His providence brings her home to the place of fullness where God will deal with her where those severe mercies will be turned into tender mercies. God patiently deals with her. He allows her to utter these words now, but to eat those words later as He brings her into the joy of being in the fullness of God's redemptive purposes. And so we see this new beginning dawning and the bitterness of Naomi's complaint. As she's giving voice to the women in Bethlehem, there's another ear that hears her. It's the ear of God. The God who bends his ear to the needy when they cry. He sees Naomi. He sees this widow. He sees her in her pitiful condition. And God is moving everything for redemption to come for Naomi. But we also see thirdly that this new beginning dawns in the light of God's provision. And so in the last verse of our text this morning, we, we find that God uses His severe mercies to bring Naomi back to the place of His provision, physically and spiritually. We read in verse 22, So Naomi returned. She returned. She's home again. The fact is accomplished that God has brought his daughter home. In spite of her bitterness, in spite of her backsliding, he will not leave her in Moab. He will not leave her in bitterness of soul. He causes her to return home. That very phrase speaks of the grace of God. So Naomi returned. When a sinner returns, what is it but the grace of God, the goodness of God that draws us back to Him? So Naomi returned. Can that be said of you this morning? That you have returned to the Lord, drawn there by His goodness, by His mercy. 
She's now in the place where God will display his glorious works and ways of redemption. Ways that she had never thought that God would work. All the hopelessness, all the bitterness will be changed. All that goes contrary to human expectation, God will reveal in his mercy. His severe mercy will give way to tender mercy. Sometimes it takes severe mercy to bring us home. But that severe mercy always brings a backslider, always brings a sinner to the tender mercy of God in Christ Jesus. So don't disparage the hard providences of God, but ask the Lord and say, Lord, what are you doing in my life right now? This is a severe mercy. You're calling me back to you. You are drawing me back to you, or here I am. So Naomi returns. Ruth also returns. She's a stranger. The text highlights her foreign credentials. Ruth, the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. These foreign credentials, these words of description would mean difficulty and challenge and uncertainty for Ruth. We should not let those descriptions cover over the reality of what our text tells us. Ruth the Moabites returned out of the country of Moab. Yes, she's a Moabites, but she's returned out of the country of Moab. What a change. What hope there is for Ruth. She doesn't know what's coming. In many ways, she's expecting difficulty and challenge, uncertainty. But she's returned home too by the grace of God. This place is her place. This people is her people. This God is her God. God has brought her to his future future that will unfold the glorious plan of salvation. They'll issue forth in the Davidic line, a Moabite brought into the line of a king, brought into the line of the Messiah. Here too, God moves heaven and earth to bring Ruth from Moab to Bethlehem, to place her there in His providence, in His time, so that redemption can be accomplished for His glory as Messiah will come. That's what God's grace is testifying to us this morning. God takes sinners out of a far country. He causes them to return to Him and He brings them to the place of fullness in Christ Jesus, to reveal His glory, His purpose. Ruth, the Moabites, has returned home exactly where God wants her to be.
My friend, if that's you, if you've come out of a far country this morning and you've come to return to the Lord, then know that God has placed you exactly where He wants you to be. It's by His power that He's drawn you. It's by His grace that He's drawn you. Don't let anyone or anything else tell you otherwise. But stay close. Stay close to God. The final detail of our text this morning is significant as well. The last phrase of verse 22 sets up the rest of the narrative. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Not the end of barley harvest, but the very beginning of barley harvest. This is more than just a a marker of time. So we can understand the time in which Naomi and Ruth come to Bethlehem. It is that. It is a marker of time. It's a significant time in the life of Judah and Israel. There is bread. There is a harvest. Indicates God's blessing on a season of growth. And as we come to Thanksgiving, we're reminded again that God provides for His people. But it also confirms the news that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. It's not just a marker, a temporal marker. It's a marker of God's faithfulness. God's Word is true. It's confirmed as Ruth and Naomi enter at the beginning of barley harvest. And spiritually speaking, it's more than just a harvest of grain. It's the beginning of the harvest of God's severe mercies in the life of Naomi. God has planted the seed, the seed of affliction, to reap a rich harvest of redemption and joy and grace. There is that principle that runs through Scripture, doesn't it? The seed that is dead must first be planted in order for it to bring life. That's what we see here. The harvest is the harvest of His tender mercies in the life of Naomi and Ruth. The beginning of the barley harvest will be a time of fullness and rejoicing. It's a dawn of a new beginning for Ruth and Naomi, a fresh start in the land of Judah. It's a dawn of new beginning for the entire nation. We could say even for us this morning, if there was no barley harvest, there would be no narrative of Ruth and Naomi. God will unfold His saving purposes in the people that are involved in this barley harvest as we see in Ruth 2 and 3. It's the dawn of a new beginning of the fullness of the grace of God as it's revealed in Jesus Christ, the greater David. The beginning of barley harvest. Now is the beginning of barley harvest, it says where God will show the yield of His severe mercies upon His people and ultimately upon His Son. 
so he can proclaim and show forth his tender mercy this morning? Are you looking for a new beginning this morning? A fresh start for life. It's not in doing things better. It's not in recommitting yourself to God. It's by running to Christ, the one who's the bread of life. Heeding the invitation of God to come to the place of His fullness, to exchange your emptiness there, to receive of God all that you need, yes, and then to recommit yourself to Him. Will you come, my friend? Will you come, bitter child of God, the place of the fullness of His grace right now and be strengthened by His sweet and tender mercy in Christ. To take all those severe mercies that God has brought into your life to be drawn back to Him to return. Rise and return. Because there's only a new beginning in Christ this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word that we could hear this morning. A severe yet beautiful word. Bitter words from the mouth and the heart of Naomi, yet so instructive for us in how we are to think of Thee and relate to Thee and Thy providence. We pray, Lord, that the severe mercies that we experience would not produce bitterness in our hearts, but would bring us to the place of tender mercy in Christ, to the place of fullness. Lord, as we anticipate communion in a few weeks, we pray that this message would already Instruct us and help us preparing for communion, that place of fullness where we receive the bread of life. Lord, we pray that thou wilt hear us now. Preserve us, O God, for in thee alone our trust has stood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.